Our scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. This is found on page 8 and 9 in the Pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take one as a gift from us. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Anthony. Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, My name is Bill Gorman, and I'm the uh, campus pastor here at the Brookside campus, and uh, as always, delighted that you're here with us, especially if this is your very first time here uh, this morning with us at Christ Community. We're so glad that you're here and uh, know that it's not easy to walk into a church or a new church for the first time, and so thanks for being with us um, and doing that this morning. And as we begin, I'd love to ask uh, for God's help in prayer as we open this passage of Scripture, as we begin this new series uh, together. Um, So I'm going to pause and do that now, and then we'll look at these verses that Anthony read for us this morning. Father in heaven, you have revealed us, revealed us, uh, you've revealed yourself to us in your word. Um, And supremely in Jesus, who your word on every single page bears witness to. And so I pray that we would see Jesus clearly um, as we look at these passages this morning. We're grateful um, that you've called us together, uh, that for no reason in us, but only because of who you are, that you've called us into your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was last Friday afternoon, uh, I was at Quick Trip uh, filling up my car with gas that I bumped into a friend, a friend from here from the Brookside campus, actually. And the first thing he said to me, have you heard what's happening in Paris right now? And that was the first moment that I heard about what now the whole world is talking about and grieving. The violent terror attacks, the, the murder of over 100 people in Paris. Um, over sabbatical, many of you know Rachel and I were on sabbatical this summer and we traveled. Uh, Paris was one of the places we went. This is Lucy in front of uh, Notre Dame. And uh, these attacks had a unique vividness, having just been in Paris this summer. But it's not just Paris, right? I mean, it's, it's Beirut, it's Baghdad, it's, it's a Russian airliner crashing into the Egyptian desert. It's a hotel in Mali. And it seems that the core of much of this conflict is religion, in in particular, the sort of exclusive claims of religion. Uh, When ISIS uh, claimed responsibility for the attacks in Paris, they, they said France and all those who follow her will continue to smell the odor of death for having led the crusade, for having dared to insult our prophet and having boasted of fighting Islam. 
And it's true that religion has often been used, including by Christians, to justify horrific violence. And as Christians, we have to lament and repent of that in our past and in, in the present. But Christianity still is exclusive, isn't it? I mean, isn't that, that part of the problem? And, and I hear this often enough. And I totally get it. For, for many of you here who, who don't yet believe, who are trying to figure all this thing out, I mean, maybe this is one of the reasons that's holding you back to say, how can Christians say that they have the only way? How can we say that, that all other peoples and religions are wrong? And believe me, I, I struggle with that too. And it's true, we are, as Christians, exclusive in one sense, that, that we believe that Jesus is the only way. And yet, at the very core of our faith, there's, there's actually no more inclusive belief system than Christianity. Let me explain what I mean. Every worldview, every religious belief system, and we all have them, uh, whether we call it a religion, a worldview, a frame of reference, we, we all have this way of looking at the world, the way we make sense of it. Every system is exclusive at some points. Right? Even, even pluralism is exclusive of those who aren't pluralistic. In the center of Judaism is, is still Israel today. The, the center of Islam is, is Mecca. Even though the majority of Muslims live outside of the Middle East, the center of Islam is still Mecca the center of Hinduism is India, Buddhism, Southeast Asia, secular humanism. The center of that is in, in the West, right? There's even a strand of, of Mormonism whose center is right here in Independence, Missouri. And yes, Christianity started in, in Palestine, in Israel, in this little backwater corner of the Roman Empire. But today it knows no cultural or geographical bounds. It was interesting when the Pew Research Center studied world religions, they discovered that 99% that of Buddhists and Hindus live in the Asia-Pacific region. It's concentrated in those geographic reasons. But when they looked at Christianity, of all of the major religious groups covered in the study, Christians are the most, Christians are the most evenly distributed. Roughly equal number of Christians live in Europe, Latin America, the Caribbean, sub-Saharan Africa. You see, Christian, Christianity and Christians, they, they transcend culture, language, geography. And here's why. And, and we see it at the beginning of the story of the Bible. Uh, we see it at the end, and we see it all the way through in every page. That God wants a really big family. God wants a family from all people for all people. God wants a family from all people for all people. And over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at this, this big idea of God desiring a family from all people for all people in, the, in this series. And so today we're beginning by looking at where the story really begins in the Bible in Genesis chapter 12 with the call of Abraham. And then next week we'll look at Revelation chapter 7 where we see the completed vision of this story of this family come together. And then throughout Advent we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew, the first few chapters, and then continuing on in the book of Matthew. But looking at the bright center of the story in the coming of Jesus, a king for all people. And over the last year and a half, we spent a lot of time as a church reevaluating how we think about love and partner with the global work that God's doing around the world and our partners around the world. 
And this is something that I'm passionate about. And I'm so excited to spend these weeks looking at God's passion for all people. So let's dive into Genesis chapter 12. If you uh, have a Bible with you or grab one of the Pew Bibles, I'd love for you to look at these verses with me or pull it up on your phone as well. Um, It's right in the beginning, first few pages in, Genesis chapter 12. And the first thing that we see in this is as we look at Genesis chapter 12 is that God calls the unlikely. The next thing we're going to see is that God promises the extraordinary and then that God wants a family from all people for all people. So again, the first thing we see is that that God wants a family, but he calls the most unlikely people to begin this. Look at verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord God said to Abram, Go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. So we're introduced here to Abram, who will later be called Abraham. I'll I'll probably refer to him as both throughout the morning. And his wife, Sarai, whose name is later changed to Sarah. And they are unlikely for a bunch of reasons. And not the least of which, they just lived a really long time ago, like 4,000 years ago. And, And for us as a culture that is always thinking about the new and the next, that God would use people from 4,000 years ago, that they would actually have something to do with our lives today. That just seems unlikely. But it's true. But you actually have to look back to chapter 11 and even further back in the story of Genesis to understand how truly unlikely Abram and Sarai are. Because first they stand in a long line of people who want nothing to do with the one true God. So going back to the beginning of the story, if you look back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, what we find is that God has created a good world. He's created all of it, the, the physical and the spiritual, the material, the immaterial, all of it he's called good. But it doesn't last that way for very long. Humans, the very people who are supposed to reflect and represent God in his world, they turn against him. The world rebels. And it gets so bad that God actually wipes out the majority of them with a massive flood, all except one family. But, but soon even the descendants of that one family turned against God, and, and the world is again turned against him in every way. In other words, and you know I'm a baseball fan, uh, in other words, it's like God had some decent starting pitching in, in Adam and Eve, but when they went down, it's like he has the bullpen of the Mets uh, or or the Blue Jays. There's just, it goes from bad to worse. And in Genesis chapter 11, the, the peoples of the earth unite and start building this massive tower, a monument to their strength and greatness. They see, we will make a name for ourselves and, and this will keep us from being scattered from the earth. We're going to, basically, we're going to build this monument against God. But God confuses their languages and they're scattered throughout the earth. And when it comes to all these events in Genesis chapter 1 through 11, there's there's a lot more mystery than clarity about the when and, and how of all this. But the who and the what is really clear and it doesn't look good. At this point in the story, we're kind of asking, has God made a huge mistake? Because it sort of feels like that at the end of chapter 11 of Genesis. God chooses the unlikely, and we as human beings are, as an entire species, the the least likely. We've proven ourselves a pretty unlikely choice. 
But God shows up in Genesis chapter 12 and he begins to break this disastrous cycle. And this is where we meet Abram and Sarai at the end of Genesis chapter 11. And all this happened around 2000 BC. So Abram and Sarah's their families lived in the city of Ur. And what's great about the city of Ur is you can actually see it uh, from Google Earth. So if you, you look in here, you can actually see the, the ruins. They've excavated the city of Ur where Abram and his family lived. It's about 186,000, uh, 186, miles uh, southeast of, of modern Baghdad. So it's roughly about the distance from Kansas City to Springfield as, as Ur is from Baghdad. And at the time of Abram, Ur was a highly developed urban culture. So you actually see this is what the city looked like um, at the time of, of Abram. I, have a, I think I have a slide just of a, a more updated kind of a, a drawing of what that city would have looked like. And like everyone else in Ur, Abram and his family worshipped the gods of their culture. The, the sun, the moon, many other gods. Uh, and they did this in the same way that, that we worship the, the, the gods, the cultural idols that, that we have. So we don't worship the sun and the moon, but, but we do worship cultural idols. We worship safety, success, comfort, reputation, approval, relationships. And they are unlikely because they lived a long time ago. They're, they're unlikely because they worshiped other gods. And Abram and Sarah are unlikely because of something the author tells us in chapter 11, verse 37, and that is that, that Sarai can't have kids. She's barren. And, and if God's plan is to build a new people, it seems like a pretty unlikely choice to choose a couple who can't have children for that task. And, and many of you, far too many of you, I know, know the pain of that reality up close and personal. But God calls them anyway. And, and in fact, the next two generations of wives after Abram and Sarah, then you have Rachel and Rebecca, and, and they're also barren. The first three generations of people that God chooses to, to build this new nation are set up for failure. But God loves to call the unlikely and, and he calls them by speaking. Do you notice how that began in verse 1 of chapter 4? It says, the, the Lord said to Abram, the Lord is a God who gets things done with words. You see, God's mission to rescue the world begins in the exact same way as his work to create the world with him speaking. And when God speaks, he tells Abraham simply, Go. Go and leave everything behind. And that's not much more than, than what Abram gets. I mean, he doesn't get a lot more direction than that. It's kind of like God says, go. Sort of start walking that way over there. Yeah, let's just start walking. God calls the unlikely. Abram, Sarai, you, me. And what this means for us is that there's no room for arrogance or pride or boasting because you and I are just as unlikely as any Muslim in Iraq or Hindu in India to follow Jesus. There's, there's no room for arrogance. We on our own never wanted to follow Jesus. If, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, the, the only reason that's true is because he's rescued you. 
We all stand in that long line of people who want nothing to do with the one true God. So God calls the unlikely to the unknown, but the call to go comes with an extraordinary set of promises. And this is what we see next. You see, when God calls, he also promises. The call without the promise would be drudgery. It would be impossible. But look at verses two and three. God calls Abraham, and then he makes this extraordinary set of promises. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go, that's, that's the call from your country, your kindred, your father's house. You see, there's a big cost to that call. It seems impossible. Leave behind everything you've ever known, Abram, because of some voice that you heard from a God that you've never seen or heard of. It's a big cost. He says, go to the land I'll show you, and then here's the promises. And and I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. That's what the tower builders wanted back in chapter 11, to make a great name for yourself. God promises Abraham, I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and he who dishonors you will curse, and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram and Sarah and their family, they're going to start something new. This is the moment where new creation begins. It's breaking into the world. This is the start of the rescue operation that God has for the world. And it begins with a promise. God says, I will, five times in these verses. Five times he says, I will do this. In these promises, God establishes a covenant relationship, a covenant with Abraham. So what in the world is a covenant? I'm glad you asked. Um, A covenant's not, we don't talk about making covenants all that often uh, in our speech today. Uh, But a covenant is this, Timothy Ward puts it this way. He says, a covenant is a relationship established by means of uttering a promise. I think that's really helpful. A covenant is a relationship established by means of uttering a promise. So a marriage is a covenant relationship. It's a relationship that's established by making vows, by making promises. A covenantal relationship. And so what is it that God promises? He promises to give Abram land. He promises to make him a great nation. And and he promises to bless Abram. Now there's probably no more churchy word than bless or blessed, right? It gets tossed around a lot in Christian circles. I think also in, at least in Midwestern pop culture, uh, it gets tossed around a lot too as well. But what does it really mean to be blessed? Or what is, what is blessing? Well, well, blessing is a massive concept in the Bible, but at its core it has to do with the goodness of creation and all the good things that God longs for his people to enjoy. Abundance, productivity, long life, peace, rest. Blessing has been God's plan from the beginning. Blessing was what characterized every aspect of the Garden of Eden. It was what was preserved with Noah and his family in the ark during the flood. And now God says that if you are going to receive blessing in the fullest sense, you've got to in some way be connected to Abram and his family. He is now going to be the conduit of blessing to all the families of the earth. God wants a really big family, and he's going to build it through Abram and Sarai. And the incredible promises of blessing that God makes here are what makes that call, following that call, possible. 
because the promise removes fear and despair. And this is vital. Why? Because when you think about God's mission, his plan for all the families of the world, making a, a people from all people, for all people, th- there are lots of reasons to be afraid and despairing. I mean, language bears, violence in the world, how are we going to have enough money to, to accomplish the, the goals that God has? But you see, God's plan is always rooted in God's promise. God's plan is always rooted in his promise, and he will do it. Jesus promised in Matthew chapter 16, which we'll we'll get to later on next year, that that he will build his church and nothing, not even the forces of hell and death, will be able to stop it. He will do it. And therefore, we have hope. We're, We're realistic. Christians of all people, most of all, are realistic. We know how bad things really are. We have Genesis chapter 3 in our Bibles. We know this world is deeply broken, but we are always and ever hopeful because we know the promise. But the promise isn't just about Abram. It's, It's not just about you or me. It's not just about one little church in Kansas City. The promise is for everyone God wants a really big family, a family from all people, for all people. So look at verses 2 and 3. And what you see is that the promise is not just for Abram. It's for the good of all people through Abram. God says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and dishonor, and and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The the so that, so that you will be a blessing, it's a command. In short, every family, every tribe, tongue, nation on earth will be blessed through Abraham and his family. That is the promise we're given here. And so how do we see this in Scripture? Well, we see it unfolding across the entire storyline of the Bible, but it all builds to Jesus because every page of this book points to him. And when you get to the New Testament, you see that God says here, it says, in you, Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But when we get to Jesus, what you find is that all the blessings of Abram are in Christ, that he is the true fulfillment of all of this. So listen to what the Apostle Paul, who was an early church leader, he wrote a letter called Galatians to this city of this region kind of called Galatia. And he writes a letter to this early church. It's one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote. And he connects these dots from Abraham to Jesus, now to the people living in Galatia. Listen how he does it in just a few short sentences. He says, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons and daughters of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, and that's, that's most of us here, non-Jewish people, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before unto Abraham, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So Paul actually says, this is the good news of the gospel, that through Abram's family by faith, all people of the earth are going to be blessed. And Jesus is what makes that possible. It's a promise for all people. Okay, so what does that mean then for us? Well, first, join his family. Join his family. And joining God's family always happens by faith. Which just means believing God's promise is true. Staking your life on God's promise being true. 
Abram had faith. The, the apostle Paul actually in another letter that he wrote, Paul wrote a lot of letters, it's most of our New Testament. In another letter he wrote to the, the church in Rome, he holds Abraham up as the prime example of faith in Romans chapter 4. Listen, he says, for Abraham was, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But Paul's saying, and we said this earlier, we have nothing to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith is seen in his, in his obedience to God's call. God says in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12, go, and then Verse four, it says, and Abraham went. That was a huge step of faith. He left behind a comfortable life in the thriving city of Ur to become a semi-nomadic person. God basically says, sell your house and get an RV, Abraham, because you're, you're going. I mean, you can imagine that now. It's like, I have a nice, comfortable house in the city, and God says, leave that behind. Get an RV, start traveling, and I'll kind of let you know when to stop at some point. And this is the same is true for us as we join God's family by believing God's promise of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. And, and faith is not just purely intellectual because for us, just like Abraham, faith is expressed in loving obedience. And for us, just like for Abraham, obedience is often costly. And so here's a question. What can you point to in your life and say, this I do out of obedience to Christ? Are there things that you point to and say, I, I wouldn't do this except Jesus has, has called me to do this. So join God's family, trust his promise, and then, and then love his family. Uh, celebrate a God who is for everyone. Rejoice in our connection with, with people of all kinds and places. I mean, the early church was really one of the first times in history where this actually happened, where you had people of, of, of different categories, rich and poor, Jews and non-Jews, different languages and cultures coming together, united by Jesus. And so as, as the church, we, we embody this as trying to transcend culture, language, context. So seek a global mind. Remember that we have more in common with, with believers living in Iraq and Syria or China than we do with someone who just lives next door but who isn't a follower of Jesus. And, and I've seen this firsthand when I've traveled to, to Kenya to visit our partners and most of the people that I meet there grew up as Muslims. So as I'm talking with Muslim background believers who are pastoralist people taking care of, of sheep and cattle and goats in the northeastern Kenya rangelands. At one level, we have so little in common. And yet, because of our shared faith in Christ, there's an immediate connection of warmth and joy together. But, but you don't have to travel across the globe to love the globe because, because the globe is here, right here in Kansas City. There are people from all over the world here. And, and our global partners, our, our partners in, in China, Iran, Kenya, Rwanda, we partner with people around the globe. They say one of the best ways to love us and serve us is to love our people from our parts of the world who are there in your city, to start there. So when it comes to Syrian refugees or refugees or immigrants from anywhere, we have an incredible opportunity to love and serve and share the good news about Jesus with the nations right here at home. No mission trip required. 
And in light of Paris, many of us are understandably fearful. But I'm always challenged by Paul Tripp's words. He says, fear is always God forgetful. If God is sovereign and his rule complete, wise rule, wise, righteous, and good, why would you fear? One of our ministry partners put it this way. He says, if you want your kids to love safety, don't let them read this book, the Bible, because that's not what it's about. So let's respond, yes, with prudence and also with courageous compassion and sacrificial love, sacrificial neighborly love. So join the family, love the family, and grow the family. Yes, share your faith here and participate globally because here's the thing, Abraham's faith and his obedience, they aren't just a model for us in our personal life. It's actually essential to the mission. It's part of God's plan to bring the good news to all the families of the earth. You and me, this is, this is God's plan. We're it. He's how, we're how he's chosen to get this done. Local churches made up of followers of Jesus are how God has chosen to bring the good news to all nations. And so how are we doing this at Christ Community? How are we doing global outreach well, this team, like I said, for a year and a half that's been thinking through this, this is the, this is the mission statement, the mission of, of global outreach at Christ Community. That is, when it comes to global outreach, we desire to develop relationships and share resources with organizations who are helping the local church flourish around the world. We desire to develop relationships and share resources with organizations who are helping the local church flourish around the world. See, it's, it's not so much about us sending lots of people and doing lots of trips all over the world. It's rather about finding God's people who are doing amazing work around the world and letting them set the agenda as we work together to see local churches flourish all over the globe. Oftentimes, older models of, of missions work often ended up being about us and our goals. And we want to be about our partner's goals and what, what they're about. And at our campus, we have a, a new team called the Global Partner Team, um, whose sole purpose is to help us engage in God's work around the world. And I want to invite uh, Rainy Estevez to, to join me. Rainy um, and her husband Emilio, along with other uh, members of our congregation, are on this team. So I wanted to invite Rainy to um, be with me, and I'll grab this mic, yeah. Um, and just ask her a few questions about the Global Partner Team and the work that they're doing. They started meeting um, this May um, and kind of throughout the summer. And so, Rainy, first of all, just what made you excited to be a part of the Global Partner Team? Why did you want to get involved? Well, my experience, uh, I mean, I can testify that I've lived in several countries and I've traveled. And I can say that everybody's different. Even though the world is coming very close together, it's very global mm -hmm. because of technology and because of people traveling and living other worlds. I was so excited to um, join this team and, and behind the scenes um, where nobody can see you. You can bless the world yeah. and make decisions by your experience and by other experiences. So. That's great. And can you tell us, Tyrion, just a little bit about what are some of the goals of this team? It's a brand new team. Um, what is this team hoping to do at the Brookside campus, and, and how are they, are they helping to accomplish this work? Yeah. We want to support the global team and partnership um, by having a specialized team for when 
um, when they need us and when we need them because we're not only blessing them but they're blessing us with their experience they're telling us what's going on how is the faith being preached in other worlds part of the world and how different it is but at the same time how the same it is we believe in the same God we um, suffer the same struggles and um, sometimes by being so far away we don't know what's going on and it's a way to communicate and bless them and Excited, yeah. Yeah, and I love that you brought out that it's about receiving as well. Like we're learning from from them and being encouraged by them and even sharing per requests with them. It's really this mutuality of, of, of partnership. Um, and then how can we be praying for, for you and this team as as we're this, this is brand new work, it's it's just beginning. How can we be praying for the work of the, the global partner team here at the Brookside campus? That we can be mindful of um, that we don't understand completely what they're going on, what's going on there, but for us to pray as a church um, that that we can be what they need, yeah. and and based on like Jesus and His Word, that we can be accountable for them, that they don't um, go past their um, His path, but for them to have us accountable too, yes. that we're yes. doing our job and our mission and our call to bless others. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rainey. Um, we're really excited about this team. Uh, Adam Ballantyne is a part of that, as well as Jake and Andy Albers, if you, if you know them. And um, they're going to really be shaping the, the culture of, of global outreach and mission here at the Brookside campus. Um, well, as we, as we close our time together this morning, I want to think about this question. What if, what if there was one religion that existed totally for the sake of others, that existed totally for the sake of the good of others, that's what God's people are to be. Because at the heart of Christianity, at the, at the center of the gospel, is, is a man, Jesus, dying on a cross for his enemies, for enemies from every tongue and tribe and nation, for you and me who are enemies. All of us were God's enemies. And at the center of Christianity is God giving himself for us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in the midst of World War II and the oppression of Nazi Germany said the church is the church only when it exists for others, not dominating, but helping and serving. And when that reality gets deep into us, into our hearts and begins to shape all that we do, we can't help but being humble, bold, self-giving people from all people for all people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would Help us, first of all, to just understand the incredible grace that you've extended to us, that you've invited us to be a part of your people. And then from that just place of being stunned by that goodness that we would seek to extend that invitation and love to everyone, everywhere. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.